Hey, let's try that again, but it did get quiet. Uh, good evening, Grace Church. Tell somebody sitting nearby you're happy to see them tonight. And we are happy to see you. We are glad you are here. Welcome. And those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, we're so glad you've chosen to be part of the service this evening. I do want to just remind you of a couple of things uh, coming up. We mentioned Sunday, the annual business meeting, church business meeting, will be this coming Sunday night at 6 o'clock over in the Alexander Center. So make a note of that, and uh, you'll want to be a part of that. Uh, and then happy to announce, I uh, sent out some communication today to our Connect Group leaders. Connect Groups will officially kick off this coming Monday, March the 4th, and those will go all the way through uh, May the 3rd. Uh, so about a 10-week stretch there. We're going to be doing Connect Groups for the spring semester, and I'm excited about this. We have 11 groups, and uh, they're, all, they're all just off to a flying start already, if I can say it that way. A lot of a, bu a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. The leaders are, are doing great, great things, great ideas. So I'm excited about what God will do through our connect groups this coming semester. And then finally, last thing I want to remind you about, and you'll want to mark your calendars. I believe this is the first night that we're announcing this, but our district superintendent, Brother Daryl Weber, is going to be with us on Sunday, March the 10th. So not this coming Sunday, but next, about a week and a half out. We're going to be welcoming Brother Daryl Weber and his ministry. Always happy to hear from our district superintendent. And uh, he, his ministry is dynamic. He's a visionary man, and he's anointed, as you would expect. And I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say, especially ahead of district conference and ahead of all the camps this summer. It would be great to hear his perspective on what's going on in the Louisiana district and what's on the horizon. So mark your calendar for that. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Let's just take a minute to welcome the Lord's presence in this place tonight. Can we do that together? Lord, we're thankful. Here we are again, Lord, to praise you in one mind and one accord, lifting you up, Lord, spending time at your house with your people in your word. What a privilege. What a privilege. It is not lost on us. We don't take it for granted, Lord. We know that we're a blessed people. We know, Lord, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We know in your presence there is fullness of joy. Your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Bless tonight, anoint, and move in our, in our lives and in our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Remain standing. Clap your hands to Jesus as pastor comes for Bible study. Thank you, Brother Dave. Good to see all of you folks here tonight. And uh, I hope you are as happy to see me as I am to see you. If that is the case, we'll have a good time here tonight. I'm kidding. We're glad you're here. We're glad Jesus is here. You may be seated tonight. Thank you. And um, what a, an amazing time we had this past weekend with uh, Dr. Rhea Cooper. And um, I talked to her uh, before she left Sunday. And uh, we're going to be planning to bring her back maybe September, October, and um, we'll dive a little deeper into her ministry, have her dive in a little bit deeper with Grace Church via her ministry. So we'll look forward to that. What a great time. Uh, what a great time here this past Sunday. And um, uh, excluding uh, the Mardi Gras weekend, I'm happy to announce that the past three or four Sundays, except for Mardi Gras weekend, we have gone over 200 on Sunday morning, and I'm very thankful for that. Very thankful for that. 
and to those of you that are in uh, the adult Bible class on Sunday morning, I worked up here for a while today over in our class, and uh, we have put out more chairs uh, for our Sunday school class, so now there should be room for everyone to sit in a chair. We, I, was, I felt terrible this past Sunday um, that we had actually people that stood the entire time against the back wall, and we have plenty of chairs, but uh, I just want y'all help me spread the word if you think of it, that we should have room for everyone to sit this Sunday. If we don't, we'll make room. And um, trying to keep some of the tables on the floor for the folks that like to take notes and what have you. Uh, we're going to keep trying to do that, but uh, I think I have around 70 chairs on the floor now and uh, for our class, and I'm real excited about it. I'm also happy to announce tonight that we have some more renovation, remodeling going on here at Grace Church. Everybody knows what a hyphen is, right? It's the little dash that you can put between certain words. Well, we have another meaning for that uh, here at Grace Church, and uh, it is our latest brand-new Sunday school class. We teased y'all before we started it with the 18 colon 25. Y'all remember that? Um, uh, I think several of us had to um, tell a little untruth here and there just to keep all that a secret. And uh, we've repented. Everything's good. And uh, But uh, Brother Dave, Sister Precious, Brother EJ are working that class right now, doing a phenomenal job. Um, I knew the room we put them in, which was our prayer room, uh, was going to be too small, and sure enough, it was. So thank you, Marty Fastbinder, for coming up here this week, knocking the wall out. Uh, Brother Brad helped us with some the electrical part of it. It's under renovation right now, and uh, we took a wall out between two rooms so they, they doubled in size. So we don't do that for nothing. We want that room to fill up. Brother Dave and I met a few minutes before church, and when that room fills up, we're already thinking about a place they can go. But they may have to swap with another Sunday school classroom. So we'll see. But anyway, we're excited about it. We're excited about Hyphen, and we're thankful to the Moyes for just throwing themselves into uh, that class, those students, and I, I think we have some great things coming down the pike with our young adult college age uh, young folks and students. So we're excited about that. So a lot of good stuff going on at Grace Church, and I'm excited about it. And uh, uh, some of our men in the staff, or excuse me, some of our, our staff in the lobby uh, told me a couple of Sundays ago that that parking outside is starting to get a little interesting now. And uh, so we may have to deal with that. So that's the kind of problems, I don't call them problems, I call them challenges, that I enjoy to keep Grace Church moving, uh, keep it growing and what have you. So I'm excited. You excited tonight to know Jesus? I am. Let's clap our hands one more time to the Lord. Let's jump into our uh, Bible study uh, tonight. If you'll remember, uh, last Wednesday night, I started this series. I'm calling it Why Holiness, and I read several scriptures to you. I'd like to read them again tonight, and then we'll launch into the second part of part one. 
for our media team, if y'all want to call this My Holiness Part 2, that's fine. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 29, the Bible said, Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In 2 Chronicles 20 and 21, the Bible said, And when He had consulted with the people, He appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness. The word that is to be clear, to shine, to make a show, to boast, and what have you. Uh, Psalm 29, verse 2, the Bible said, Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. In Psalm 96, verse 9, the Bible said, O worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. Why holiness? That is our conduit through which we worship. We don't worship through happiness. We worship through the conduit of holiness. I made the statement last Wednesday night, and I may repeat it again tonight, that God is more concerned about our holiness than he is our happiness. And if you choose to obey the commandments of the Bible, God would be more pleased, and you would be more blessed. And quit fighting that uh, and just do what God wants them to do. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. And then finally tonight in Hebrews chapter 12, 14, follow peace with all men. We follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So we follow peace with all men, but our conduit to God is through the conduit of holiness. Bible said you will not see the Lord. That shall see, and the statement shall see the Lord means with wide open eyes as at something remarkable and does not mean with simply voluntary observation or merely mechanical, passive, or casual vision, but still more emphatically with intensive, earnest, and more continued inspection. Uh, we talked last Wednesday night about the concept of holiness we believe and teach here at grace church there's three basic components of holiness and that is modesty moderation and distinction the bible teaches those three very clearly and the more you develop your relationship with god through the conduit of holiness the more of god you will see and that is a fact we mentioned last Wednesday night that holiness is not what's perfected in our life. Holiness is not what's perfected in our life. God is in our life, and holiness is a result of it. Holiness is not attaining to a point, but it is something that we live and pursue on a daily basis. We may, I made the statement last Wednesday night that holiness is not our God. We are holy because of God. I know people that have a propensity to make an idol out of holiness and they worship their holiness lifestyle more than God. And that's not what God intended to happen. I gave you three reasons to be holy last Wednesday night and that is to please God. We also do that for others and we also do that for ourselves. I made the statement last Wednesday night in reference to living a holiness lifestyle for ourselves. When you violate the teachings of the word of God you do harm to your body because you were not made to live in sin we need to understand that 
So to begin tonight, we, uh, I want to talk to you about three things that will enable you to live a holy life. Three things that will enable you to live a holy life. I want to begin tonight, the first would be faith. According to Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. The Bible said the just shall live by faith. Here why faith is so important. Our salvation comes by God. Our salvation comes to us by God or grace. So our salvation comes, we realize we're saved by grace. So our salvation comes by God or grace through our faith. Our faith is designed to receive the grace of God into our life. That's why the Bible said that without faith, it is impossible to please him. You can't receive from God without faith. So faith is the conduit through which the grace of God is poured into our life. So the doctrine of grace means that salvation is a gift of God, meaning that you cannot earn your salvation. We are not saved by works. James is very clear on that point in his epistle. You're not saved by works. You are saved by your faith. So you don't live good to get God. You don't do that. You get God so you can live good. I've had people tell me, I've had several people tell me throughout the course of my ministry through the years that I'm not good enough to come to God. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. You never will be. Nobody will ever will be. That's not possible. You, you get God, if you will. You receive his grace through your faith in him, and then God makes you to live good. So you don't work to salvation. You are saved, and then you begin your relationship with God. You begin your work for God. You begin your work in that relationship with him from there. We live holy not to get saved. We live holy not to get saved. We live holy because we are saved. Somebody say amen. We do not live by legislation. It's, we don't live by this statement. People have come to me again. Um, if I do this or that, pastor, will I go to hell? Uh, I've had people ask me that. That's the wrong way to think. The question to ask is, am I in a faith-based relationship with God? If I am, then I will do whatever it takes to please him. If I'm in a faith-based relationship with him. We must be willing. Here, here's the whole bottom line. We must be willing to be obedient and submissive to the things that God asks us to do. I want you to notice tonight, I'm going to read a very sobering verse, and you'll understand the context in just a moment. And I believe we would all agree with this. The Bible said in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, that the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters will all have their part in the lake of fire. I think I have a verse back there that y'all might could put on the screen. Um, 
But the end of the list don't stop at idolaters. I want you to notice this. Let me read it again. But the fearful and unbelieving, the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Everybody say liars. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Now I do think with an ordinary congregation that assembles at a church, you'll have people that are fearful from time to time. You'll have people that struggle with unbelief from time to time. But people that are abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, probably not so much. If they do populate our churches, I hope they're converts. That's what they used to be. But that's not what they are now. But what about liars? The Bible said all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. All liars are going to hell is what the Bible says. The Bible makes a strong statement here. Makes a very strong statement here. If I am a liar, if I am a liar on any level, the Bible don't classify little white lies and horrible lies. and It don't do that. Just a liar to God is a liar. If you lie, you're a liar. That's all there is to it. All of our students, remember that when y'all are talking to people. Make sure it's the truth. You've got to tell the truth. Even when it hurts, whatever, you've got to tell the truth. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. The Bible makes a strong statement here that if I am a liar and I believe the Bible, if I want to go to heaven, I'm going to have to stop lying. Does that make sense? I don't think that's too hard of a quiz. That should make sense to everybody. If I believe God, if I believe God, I'll believe his word. And because his word teaches holiness, then I will pursue holiness. My faith in God's word will enable God's grace to work in me and to change me. So if you're any of these things listed in the book of in Revelation 21, and there's other things in the Bible that, that uh, lend to the same thing, when you read these things, if you believe God, if you believe in his word, then you will pursue holiness and you will stop doing those things. Consequently, your faith in God's word will enable God's grace to work in you and to change you from being that kind of a person. So, we are saved by grace, God's work in us, not by our goodness. So, we receive God's word through faith. We walk by faith, which is the basis of our relationship with God. Notice if you say, I know the Bible says this about this. I know the Bible says certain things about certain things, but I'm not going to do that. If you have that posture, if that's what you think and believe, then you do not have faith in God. This is a litmus test. The Bible teaches that. This is a litmus test to challenge your faith. If you believe in him, if you believe in the word of God, then you will obey the word of God. And your faith will empower you to do that. The second component that will enable us to live holy, and I don't mean to sound general here tonight. I, I, I'm not doing deep dives here, but this is so Bible. It is so Bible. It's simple, and it is so Bible. 
First of all is faith will enable you to live a holy life. Number two is love. Everybody say love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's a very simple statement. I don't think there's any question about what he meant. I don't think he could have worded that more simple for us to understand. If you love God like you say you love God, then it will manifest itself. That statement made by you saying I love God will manifest itself in your life because you are keeping his commandments. Love is the most powerful motivator there is. If we really love God, we will want to do what he says. I touched on this a little bit last Wednesday night in conclusion, but let me bring it up again. Oh, the things that husbands and wives will do for each other, not because it is the law. Talk more about that in a moment. We do things, if you're married, we do things for our spouse, and oh, the things we will do for our spouse, not because it is the law, but it's because we love our spouse. There's people here tonight I know full good and well. You go, you'll go to the end of the world for your spouse when you wouldn't go three feet for somebody else. I don't know how else to get more plain with that. Um, when you're in love with somebody, I mean, I love Sister Murphy so much. There's restaurants I'm not a particular fan of, but if she wants to go there, I love her so much, I will sacrifice I do do that. But she does the same for me. We do that because we love each other. Now, there's other people you ask me to go to that restaurant. I'll probably say, no, let's go somewhere else. I have said, no, let's go somewhere else. It's because you love each other. Listen to Pastor. If you're divorced here tonight, very generally speaking, then in a nutshell, one ceased to please the other. In a nutshell, one please, one ceased to please the other the other. If you really love God, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You will want to please the one you love. We have literally been with married couples before, especially newlyweds. And one newlywed will talk to the other newlywed, their spouse, and refer to them with some title of endearment. And I have stopped them, said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you just say? With a big smile, boy, they'll repeat it. All these crazy names people have for each other. Sister Murphy and I have a little pet peeve name we call each other. And no, it's none of your business, and I'm not going to tell you. I'm not embarrassed by it. It's just not your business. Uh, I've been with couples and hear them call each other by their little pet names for each other, and you just kind of want to go. Um, there's no word for that. I just, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little too plain here, but I'm like, yeah. Um, <laughs> Casey, I've got to throw you under the bus tonight. We had an older couple when we were in Baker. This is a long time ago, and she was about 13, 14 years old. And the wife was a decently attractive person, but the husband, not so much. Is what it is. And on the way home from their, this couple's house one night, Casey from the back seat said, Mom and Dad, I just don't know how Sister So-and-So will let Brother So-and-So kiss her on the lips. That's just nasty. And, um, 
I don't know, Chris. Maybe she understands now. We'll leave that between you. <laughs> I'm kidding. It was just a joke, just to keep everybody awake and all of that. I'm getting way off my point here tonight. <laughs> but look around and imagine if you was married to that person like somebody else was, the, the, the hardship they have to go through sometimes with smooching. If you really love God, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You will want to please the one you love. I've, I've encouraged our young people. I've taught our young people. I've taught our church. Ladies especially, listen to pastor tonight. If anybody outside the church, outside the body of Christ, asks you, why don't you do this and why don't you do that and why don't you wear this and why don't you wear that and all that, all you have to answer, only thing you have to say is because I love Jesus. That's it. That's all you have to say. You don't have to go on some long explanation. I love him, and I believe this is what I do. This is what he likes for me to do for me to please him. So that's what I'm going to do. And tell that person, just like you try to please your family or your friends, I want to please God, and I believe this is how I do it. End of conversation. I've told people that my own self. Love is stronger, folks, than the law. Sadly, some thinks it's legalism. Legalism is believing that you can earn your salvation by your good works. You cannot save yourself by your good works. Some say the alternative to legalism is doing that which is right in your own eyes. That's, that's a mistake as well. I'll come to that in just a second. But I want to encourage everybody here tonight. If you love God, there's nothing in that Bible that will be too hard for you to obey if you truly love Him. Now, don't walk up to me and challenge me after church tonight and say, well, what's the matter? You don't think I love God? It's not for me to judge. Only you're the one that can judge if you love him enough to obey his commandments or not. Doesn't matter what the world is doing. Doesn't matter what's going on in another church. It doesn't matter what our culture says. You're going to be judged by the word of God. If you love him, Jesus said, you will keep his commandments. But some say that the alternative to legalism is doing what's right in your own eyes. If you read the book of Judges in the Old Testament, it says it over and over. That the people that lived in the book of Judges during that era of time, you will find that is exactly what they did. The Bible says it numerous times that they did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And read the book of Judges. Read what it contains. Read its contents. It was no utopia. It was no Garden of Eden. The book of Judges is full of chaos and heartbreak and tragedy and disaster and murder and very stupid decisions. Y'all ever heard of a man named Samson? Y'all about stupid. I'm going to be as kind as I can. I'm, using, I'm not using the word in a derogatory way. It was ignorance. He was carnal. He, he, he was blessed with a tremendous gift. He was the incredible hulk of the Bible. I mean, he could pick up gates of a city. I mean, that's not a little chain link fence gate. These things weighed hundreds and hundreds of pounds and pick them up and towed them off. Uh, Y'all know the story. There was no one on the throne in the book of Judges. There was no one to be accountable to. Uh, they made a lot of mistakes. And they did a lot of dumb things. God obviously changed that as the Bible began to unfold and develop as we know it now. You have to have somebody to be accountable to, to keep yourself on the 
the straight and narrow, to keep yourself in the middle of the road, if you will. But bottom line, our guide is what the Word of God teaches, period. doesn't matter what other influences say and what other people are doing. The proper alternative to legalism is love. Love is stronger. Listen to Pastor tonight. Love is far stronger and far more demanding than the law could ever be. Okay, y'all are awfully quiet and it's making me a little nervous. Not really, but anyway. Let's go back to marriage. I like to ask our men every once in a while. I'll walk up to them and say, are you happily married or just married? And I always get that two or three second delay where they have to boot up and really consider what they're about to say. I don't think it's that hard of a question myself, but anyway. Boo, are you happily married or just married? Never mind, we'll talk about it after church. Uh, in marriage, obeying the law. Listen to pastor. Everybody, please listen. Understand what I'm teaching here tonight. In marriage, obeying the law doesn't produce intimacy. Obeying the law doesn't produce relationship. Obeying the law doesn't produce children. The law says don't commit adultery. This is only a safety net. It is a very minimum requirement. If I am tempted and think of the consequences of what will happen to me, what will happen to my marriage, what will happen to my family, what will happen to my ministry or career, then the law would stop me from committing adultery. So if I say in marriage, I'm only going to keep the law, then I need to understand that it doesn't promise a happy marriage. There are many ways I can be crude and insensitive to my spouse without breaking the law. But if I love my spouse, I will do more than the law requires. Everybody say amen. If you love God, you will be stricter on yourself than the law could ever be on you. Sometimes we want to know, what do I have to do to be saved? Or what do I have to do to be a member of the church? Or what do I have to do to be a leader in the church? These are legalistic questions in my opinion. Because you're asking for a minimum that I can do and still be in good standing with God in the church. It's that show me in the Bible mentality. It's where you begin to get in trouble and here's why. You're using the Bible like you'd use the IRS tax code. If I can, if I can find a loophole in the IRS tax, ho, uh, tax code, if I can claim things properly and get deductions and all that, I'll take it. I love my country, but I'm not going to pay more than what's necessary. But this ain't our country. This is our eternity. This is our relationship with God. The United States of America didn't go to Calvary for me, but Jesus did. That's the difference. Jesus can change my life. My country can offer me a great things, and I thank God I'm an American. I thank God to be an American. I, I'm honored to be an American, but it can't do for me what God can. It's a pleasure, it's an honor, it's a privilege to take that Bible and read things and say, I'm doing that. With all of my heart, I'm doing that. With all of my heart, I'm doing that. And with all of my heart, I'm doing that. God, I hope I'm pleasing you right now with my life. I want God to be happy with me. I want God to be pleased with me. I want God to be satisfied with me. 
I don't want to look for a loophole to say, how can I make this easier? I can't treat God like that. My country doesn't provide me the incredible things that God does and that his word does. So our attitude should be, God, what do you want me to be? A lot of holiness questions are difficult to answer because we have the wrong attitude. We approach it with the wrong posture. It's not a minimum requirement that keeps me out of hell. It's not what we're trying to do here, but rather what will keep me and draw me closer to God. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin. If something bothers you, whether it's sin or not, if it's in between you and God, you need to get rid of it. It may not be a sin. Be a weight, be a hindrance. The weight and sin which does so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Certain things you may, certain things may not be a sin to you, but weights can hinder your relationship with God. It's not get as close to the world as you can and still be saved, but it's get as close to God as you can. It's to pursue holiness. So faith, love will enable you to live holy. The third thing is the Holy Ghost. This is your power source. There is electricity in the building right now, but until somebody flips the breaker, it does no good. God will not make decisions for you, nor does he do your praying and fasting and Bible study for you. You discipline yourself to do these things. And when God talks to your heart and mind, you lean on the Holy Ghost to do what God enables you to do. I think a lot of very sincere people, very honest people, struggle in their relationship with God because they have a hard time understanding how the Holy Ghost works. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, God don't just come in as a dictator and take over your life and now you become this zombie or robot and you just, you just walk around kind of mindless and do whatever God tells you to do. It's not how it works. You still have your carnal nature. You still have your personality. You still have things in life you're going to battle. You have to allow your, your attitude, your decision, your posture and your relationship with God is like flipping a breaker. You have to open up that channel to let the power of God come through. And if you lean on him, the Bible promised that Jesus said when the Spirit has come, it will lead you and guide you into all truth, and it constantly leads and guides. God gives you the ability to live for him, but you have to take the responsibility in living for him. You have to understand that. And then tonight, I don't know how far I'll get. Um, clock is ticking. But I want to give you three holiness teachers, three things that will teach you the concept and the principle of holiness. Still answering the question, why holiness? This is why. There's, there's many parts to it. Three holiness teachers. First of all, it's the Word of God. It's your primary source for learning about holiness. I want to teach you all a principle here tonight that I want you all to understand. I want everybody to understand it. Our students, I want you all to understand this. 
There are many things in the Word of God that are explicit. Everybody say explicit. That means they are stated plainly. Example, don't lie and don't dress immodestly. That's explicit teaching of the Bible. It's explicit. There's a lot of don't do this and don't do that in the Bible. There's a lot of that. Even in the New Testament, believe it or not, for all these people that believe we're saved by grace, and I don't have to do a thing. God's going to save me no matter how I am. That's a lie, and we'll get into that uh, probably next Wednesday night. But the Bible teaches, the Word of God teaches, that there are explicit things in the Bible that says it in common language, very explicit. But there's also many things in the Bible concerning, especially concerning holiness, that are implicit. Everybody say implicit. The word implicit represents this idea. It's there is a principle that the Bible is teaching. It may not be an exact statement, but it's teaching a principle. The Bible is not just a rule book for one age or one era. It is for every age, every race, every country, every culture, etc., if you only approach the Bible as a rule book, then you could play games with it. But if you approach it with the attitude of what is the principle or what is the Bible saying, what is, what is it teaching me, then all of a sudden the Bible comes alive and becomes inspirational and revelatory. Let me give you an example here tonight of explicit and implicit. I'll give you an example. The Bible teaches us very clearly not to get drunk. The Bible teaches us that. Proverbs 20, verse 1, Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35, Ephesians 5, 15 through 18, Proverbs 23, 19 through 20. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, that drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It says that very clearly. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 5, 11, to don't even associate with drunkards. Examples of drunkenness, very interestingly to me, those of you that started my uh, adult Bible class, Several months ago, we talked about this. The, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. And there's a lot of things we learned for the very first time in the book of, of Genesis. And one is the price you pay when you get drunk and become an alcoholic. It's found in the story of Noah and his son Ham. And Ham's son Canaan was cursed and all of his seed forever because of that. And Lot and his two daughters... Lot's two daughters had an incestuous relationship with Lot, bore two boys, and both of them became some of the most evil men and persecuted the people of God all throughout the Old Testament. The Bible establishes early on in the Bible, when you first are reading it, you get to verses, uh, chapter what, 10, 11, and get the story about Noah and Ham, and not long after that you get the story of Lot's two daughters. It all happens in the book of Genesis. I mean, the first book of the Bible, before the law of Moses was ever given, before Abraham came along, especially in the case with Noah. So the Bible establishes a commandment about drinking, getting drunk, and all of that. But <laughs> the Bible doesn't say one thing about smoking pot. Not a verse in there that says don't don't light up a what do they call them a doobie. Uh, there's a thousand other names for marijuana cigarettes. There's names for different quantities. Uh, on and on it goes. Not one time does the Bible say not do that. But watch this before one or two of y'all might get excited. The Bible doesn't say one time not to 
smoke pot. So if you take the Bible as a rule book, then you can assume that I can get drunk, but I can't smoke pot. I can't get drunk, but I can smoke pot, excuse me. But notice there's a principle here. It's that God doesn't want you intoxicated or addicted to substances that abuse the body and replace the satisfaction of God in your life. That's the point. Our senses and inhibitions cannot be given over to foreign things that would control us. You could call it a government, if you will. Be not drunk on wine as in excess, but be ye filled with a spirit, the Bible said. So where the Bible is explicit about alcohol, it's implicit about drugs. Y'all understand that? The Bible is full of that. Again, it is written for all ages, all cultures, all people, everywhere until Jesus comes. The Bible is a book of godly principles, not rules. It is a God book that leads to eternal life, not a rule book to keep you in bondage. So the Bible, the Bible is a holiness teacher. Uh, the second part of this that will teach you holiness is the pastor. We don't have the right to add or take away from the Word of God. If any preacher tells you you must do this even though it's not like that in the Bible, or if he tells you don't worry about that when the Bible teaches certain things, you need to find another preacher. <clears throat> Amen. The Bible is the Word of God and no one, everybody say no one, no one has the right or the authority to change it or overrule it. But if your pastor teaches the truths of the Bible, then you are responsible and accountable to God for the things you have been taught. You're also responsible to obey and to submit to the Word of God. Now, we have the Bible, but how do we understand it? How do we apply the principles of the Bible? This is where the pastor comes in. He prays, he studies, then God leads and guides him. It has worked like this for some 2,000 years since the day of Pentecost especially. For every age and culture, every social issue, God always has had a man that he can move in and through. Some say the pastor's been misinformed, or I don't think he understands me or my family or my situation. Wait a minute. This is a man of God in your life that God has placed in your life for spiritual leadership and guidance. If you choose to do it your way, if you choose to go ahead and do it your way and ignore the preaching and teaching of the pastor, you better be 100% correct. The pastor is to watch for your soul and will he will give an account. Let me conclude tonight quickly by saying the third teacher of holiness is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will never, the Holy Ghost will never, the Holy Ghost will never teach you anything contrary to the Word of God. I dealt with this, this in Youngstown. There was a group in our church, I didn't know it until all the damage was done. They were having private prayer meetings at their house. There's two or three couples and somebody gave a message in tongues and somebody else interpreted that there was a woman there that should divorce her husband and get married to our single outreach director, that that was the will of God. And when I got news of that, I called them into my office and uh, straightened that out. Uh, I think the woman did ultimately divorce her husband. He was a horrible, very abusive alcoholic, but she didn't marry our outreach director either, as far as I know. 
The Holy Ghost will never teach you anything contrary to the Word of God. And if you say it's the Holy Ghost, it is the devil lying to you. I want everybody to understand that. I want our students to understand that. The Holy Ghost will never incite rebellion towards the preacher. The Holy Ghost will never incite rebellion towards the pastor. The Holy Ghost is a witness to your own personal life. And sometimes as a pastor, we have to make immediate decisions. Sometimes you have to make immediate decisions. Sometimes you don't always have time to fast for three days and go through a Bible study or go through a prayer meeting. You will have to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost in you. And if you are, God will guide you through your circumstance or situation that you are facing. And it will never be contrary to what the Word of God teaches. So in conclusion tonight, I'm going to go back a few years. But if you are unsure if something is sinful or not, or what the best choice is or not, then don't do it. Ask yourself, what would Jesus do? If I want to go to a certain place, do a certain thing, how would I feel knowing that Jesus was sitting right beside me? It's a good rule of thumb when you don't have time to call the pastor and, and what have you. So you have three witnesses in the Bible. By the mouth of two or three witnesses shall everywhere be established. It's the Bible, the pastor, and the Holy Ghost. They will teach you what you need to know about the principles in the Word of God. Thank the Lord. I love Jesus tonight. How about you? Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Stand with me. Let's pray and ask God to help us, to strengthen us, to encourage our hearts tonight. Let's pray for Grace Church. He will keep us on the right path. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you tonight. We're thankful for this moment, these times to be very intimate with the Word of God, with the Spirit of God. And I pray tonight that you've talked to our hearts, that you've talked to the people in this building, that we can understand the teaching of the word of God is simple but it's powerful it's profound and it can change our lives it can make us far better and I pray God in Jesus name that you help us tonight keep Grace Church in your hands and we ask it in Jesus name everybody say amen God bless you fellowship with somebody tonight before you leave tell them you love them God bless you we'll see you Sunday morning